0: Hello, and welcome to the July 2017 edition of Organising to Win, the trade union podcast from Unison Northwest. What do you think of when you hear the term disruptive technologies? The growth of new technology has always had a transformative effect on the world of work, whether through the establishment of industrial revolution-era cotton mills, which brought small cottage industry producers into the major cities, usually to work on machines that could do their jobs faster, and of course the bosses that owned those machines, or maybe through the invention of new methods of communication, allowing us to send and receive information constantly using a device that fits in our pockets. The pace of technological change over the past few decades though has presented a new challenge to working people on an unprecedented scale. A report by right-wing think tank Reform published in February this year estimates that almost a quarter of a million public sector jobs could be automated over the next 15 years, and that even some aspects of jobs undertaken by doctors and nurses such as diagnosis could be undertaken in future by a machine. So, does the future hold the promise of a technological utopia, where many tasks which form part of our daily grind are performed by smiley face robots which serve us whilst we prosper from the fruits of their labour? Or does technology pose a threat to skilled and so-called unskilled workers alike, with automation threatening to undermine their livelihoods and cast people into poverty? I asked Nigel Flanagan from Uni Global Union what the workplace of the future might look like, and how trade unions should approach the question of automation and disruptive technology.
1: There is the capacity now, with artificial intelligence and new technology, to replace jobs in the millions. The World Economic Forum estimates that by 2030 we could have lost 75 million jobs. Out of the global economy when you look up the public sector and you see the uh, financial pressures that continue on the sector austerity privatization outsourcing you can see the uh, attraction to governments of using artificial intelligence to replace workers and the problem we're, ha- we're having now is that the new developments in artificial intelligence, the use of human clouds, of Mechanical Turk, and these other um, web opportunities for uh, employers to put work out there for people to bid against each other to do, means that these trends are likely to happen.
0: So what's the human cloud, that sounds, uh, <laughs> okay. that sounds yeah.
1: interesting. Um, The new development is, and Mechanical Turk, which is run by Amazon, is probably the best known example of this. There are 560,000 workers registered on it. Employers now have the ability to take any task, what we call a human intelligent task, and break it down into tiny parts. They put those tasks on the cloud website, Mm -hmm. and then workers... Go onto the website, find tasks that they think they can do, and put bids in to do that work for whatever rate. In other cases, the rates are fixed by the company that wants the work done. So design a menu, um, design a road, write an article, um, fill in a, a review form, choose appropriate photographs, simple little tasks all the way up to much more sophisticated tasks and workers do them at home on the computer and send the completed work to the employer for payment. Well, that sounds great
0: i mean uh, does that bidding does that mean that they're uh, increasing their potential take home from that kind of exercise or
1: well i mean that the, the employers are trying to partly sell it to workers on the basis that this gives you flexibility this means you can work from home this suits you if you have parental or caring responsibilities but actually what i've done is i've logged in and had a look at these uh, the, this work and and how it how it all operates the rates are tiny people are getting paid 70 cents 60 cents out of a dollar for uh, tiny little tasks that may take a few minutes so on average people are having to do something like 200 tasks a day to actually make uh, twenty dollars twenty dollars uh doing that amount of work in the usa where a lot of the workers are um, uh, registering on on different clouds It's not a great wage, $20 in India is half the average monthly salary and because people are registered from all over the world and and IT um, frenzy countries like Kenya and Brazil and India have got lots of workers who are trained and are registering on these clouds and taking work from Western organisations and getting paid almost a living wage. So,
0: this sounds like the uh, 21st century version of the uh, dockyard line of <laughs> saying this is the word that's available. Yeah. Um, you know, yep. uh, we'll have you, you, and you, and everyone else can go home.
1: That is, that is a really good analogy that, you know, um, there's no contract of employment, it's not even zero hours, you're not an em- employee, you're simply a person with IT skills who's going on the cloud and trying to earn money by doing little bits of jobs. Mm. Now, Um, the potential for employers is incredible, obviously, and we know that the the, the graph on this is going up very, very, very steeply. One of the interesting findings that Oxford University have have researched is that in a lot of um, so-called third-world countries developing uh, economies, people who are going on Mechanical Turk and similar clouds to do work are people who have already got a job. And they're doing it in their lunchtime or in their break or when they get home mm. to supplement really low wages at work. Mm. So, it, as always, these things are all tied to poverty and low wages and ownership. Who owns this technology and how are they using it? So how do you think the trade union movement needs
0: to adapt to, to face this new challenge? Of, of-
1: Well, I, the, the trade union movement has now started to think about this, which is encouraging because it's happening so quickly. We can't try and catch up. We've got to be there at the beginning. And there are a number of strategies that trade unions are looking at. The idea of a digital activist, uh, somebody who contacts and interacts and communicates with other digital workers uh, to set up uh, things like digital picket lines, to set up digital negotiating agendas. All this is being looked at. But we're in very, very early days. And of course, the huge complication for trade unions is that this is global. This is a very difficult thing for a national trade union to organize around. So other strategies such as looking at a regulatory framework or uh, a a different bargaining agenda on a national level, along with other um, global trade unions, that's what we're feeling our way towards. But we need to be quick because this is already happening. Mm. It will um, inevitably impact greatly on public services when local authorities and other public bodies think, oh, this is another way of saving money. Let's mm-hmm. stop employing people, let's put our tasks out on the web, and get people from Kenya to do it for us. And what about
0: the uh, p- progressive, um, it, to use one meaning of the word progressive, it's not necessarily progressive in nature, but the, the, um, the, the increasing automation of tasks. Um, that are putting jobs and uh, traditional skill-based jobs at risk. How do you think that the, the labour movement can address that challenge? Does, do we need to start thinking differently about some of this kind of yeah, stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think <clears throat> one of the things that we have to be aware of is that this is not straightforward replacing workers with robots, like on a, a car production line, for example. This is looking at every job and taking out of that job as many tasks as possible, and converting it into um, artificial intelligence work or cloud work. So, for example, they are estimating that uh, 71% of most jobs can be now transferred into a cloud form or done by artificial intelligence. So there's still going to be a certain amount of residual retention. Our challenge is what we've got to do is look at this as an issue of saying, This should give us more time to look after our families, more time to enjoy Mm. leisure, Mm. to pursue different things in life, but not at the cost of wages. Mm. So if 71% of my job goes to a machine, I still want to be paid 100% wages, thank you very much. Mm. That's the challenge for the union is where do we start addressing that problem?
0: Because presumably the same amount of wealth is being created through this, these processes, whatever they are, of whether course, they're mechanical or whether they're, yeah. you know, uh, things that a computer is doing in the yeah. cloud or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so... Is that that addressing that task and that challenge, is that something for trade unions alone? Has there been any linking up or examination of other ideas like the citizens' wage
1: and and things like this? Well, it introduces into the discussion uh, lots of new ideas that we haven't discussed before as a, a movement, but now we have to, the universal income idea. Is that how we compensate people for losing parts of their job? The, um, <clears throat> the idea of uh, what we do with the productive time after we've uh, had our job uh, uh, reduced. You know, these are all things that we have to start talking about. Now, has that been addressed in any, any kind of global way? The World Economic Forum is looking at this. Uh, and unions like the union I work for, Uni Global Union... Uh, They have set up their own the future at work uh, task force who are looking at how we can uh, assist trade unions that are having to deal with this issue. So we are still really in the early, early days and we haven't properly identified yet exactly who we need to be taking these questions to because there's a whole supply chain effect in this where maybe a local authority will outsource some work, which will be taken up by some companies who will outsource it further and further. And it could be that you're five or six moves down the line before you're actually hitting the uh, human intelligence task and, and the human cloud. Mm. So none of this is regulated. So, 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 so some uh, people, or there might be,
0: for example, a local authority that is using this approach it's, but, it's very possible. But, yeah. but, but people aren't aware of it because it's Absolutely. so many stages down the outsourcing line. Yeah. And it's been so diluted into yeah. this tiny little task. It's
1: right at the end of the supply chain that's happening. So
0: do you have any examples of, of that? Where, where is
1: uh, No, uh, to, uh, we couldn't say that we have examples of that in the public sector as yet. Um, we but, suspect it's happening. Yeah. But we have got examples of it happening between huge global companies, you know, yeah. where people are... Um, working on tasks for a subcontractor who's subcontracting from a subcontractor who are essentially doing work for um, you know a big company like uh, WhatsApp Mm -hmm. I mean we've just been talking about WhatsApp it's a Uh, 1.4 billion uh, company Mm -hmm. massive it handles uh, 9 million voicemails every day Mm -hmm. and um, it employs 55 people Mm -hmm. so I don't believe that fifty five people can do all the work of that company. But I, I, I imagine they're passing work down the line and people yeah. on the cloud are doing IT tasks for WhatsApp.
0: Yeah.
1: Because the, the work has been put on the cloud for them to bid for.
0: Nigel Flanagan of Uni Global Union. Well, many solutions to the challenge of automation, including universal citizens' income and tax on robots that are replacing jobs traditionally done by humans, have been subject to debate over the last couple of years. I asked Sarah Glenister from the Institute of Employment Rights whether there might also be a legislative solution to some of the questions posed by disruptive technologies.
2: I think uh, for us, legislation is really there to ensure that none of these things take away from workers' rights, that they don't become new ways for employees to undercut workers. So when it comes to uh, things like Uber, um, Deliveroo and so on, we've already seen when that went to court that Uber, I think they've got 10,000 drivers in the UK and the court agrees they're not self-employed workers. Part of that problem is making sure we do have someone there, like a labor inspector, to ensure that what the employer says is true is actually true and that they're not just finding ways to get around employment law. So, I mean, it's going to... The legislation, in a way, is already there for Uber. Those people aren't self-employed. They are workers. But the problem is enforcement and you do need somebody who can be monitoring the way that the workforce is going and monitoring to ensure that uh employers are following the law so that's going to be a big part of it what about the automation of jobs because that's a huge threat isn't it to uh, a lot of
0: people's livelihoods you know if we have automated cars in 20 years that drive themselves we won't have any need for drivers and the deloitte's report uh this year looking at the possibility of uh, 850,000 jobs in the public sector becoming automated by 2020 is there a legislative answer to that or is there a, a contribution that legislation can make to answering that do you think
2: i think it is partly that um legislation probably needs to be flexible because the world of work does change and it has changed over and over um, over and over the decades, you know, at the moment, the I.R. is looking at um, repealing the Health and Safety Act, not because it was a terrible piece of law at the time, but because it doesn't work anymore. Because the workplace has changed, so it's partly that we need to keep reforming. We need to be keep on looking, and collective bargaining to go back to that is far more flexible than statutory law. If we need to keep on rewriting the law, it's going to be a struggle every time. If Uh, people's rights at work and people's pay and so on is decided by collective bargaining then that's fluid that can keep changing according to the needs um when it comes to i think what you're talking about is jobs going in certain industries Mm -hmm. i mean at the moment the government is looking into an industrial strategy which uh, some people may have heard of um where they're trying to look at well how can we keep people in work and how can we make the economy stronger? How can we be more productive? Some of that may be about looking into uh, industries that are going to boom like green energy and so on. Um, What we'd say is that when that process is done, then we really need workers to be part of that process. We need to uh, keep on training workers up. So it can't just be, well, we've got this low skilled worker, but there isn't a job for them anymore. We need to be planning for the future in terms of training to make sure that where jobs are coming up in new industries, um, then we have the skilled workforce available and we can keep on changing our economy according to the way the world changes.
0: Sarah Glenister from the Institute of Employment Rights. Well, that's all we've got time for for this month. But as ever, if you want to have a look at some resources that are uh, related to this programme or listen to previous episodes of the podcast, you can do so by visiting our website at www.unisonnw.org forward slash podcast. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening and see you again next month.